Hello and welcome back to a post-NAB, post-post-NAB. <laughs> We're still gathering up some stuff, actually, but uh, we are on DSLR Film New Podcast, and Devin joins me today. I, of course, am DJ. I'm just back from a shoot in the Midwest, uh, if you like Sioux City, Iowa. That's where I was. It was wonderfully boring. But Devin, what have you been up to, my friend? Oh, boy. Uh, I've been I've been up to lots of stuff. Uh, I just talked with you earlier about creating battery brackets for some cheap LED lighting, uh, which I don't know. I may do a short video on because I have been recording my progress as I make 3D printed brackets to convert lights that aren't meant to be converted and all that fun. You know what's fun too? When I when I pull the uh, battery mounts off of those LED pads, they don't have colored wiring. Both the positive and the negative are black. You just have to remember when you disconnect it, which was which, because that's how cheap they are. They can't afford uh, colored wiring. So that's all that's with me. I mean, as long as you check the polarity, uh, you'll probably be fine. (laughs) Uh, We were actually debating earlier about polarity checking in devices, and uh, that led to a debate with Devin about whether or not it was necessary to check DTAPs. But we'll get into that in a moment. (laughs) Anything else exciting, Devin, before we move on to the actual meat and potatoes of the show? No, I'm just, you know, buried with work as usual. You know me. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, guys, I think it's probably time for the news. Time for the news. All right. I want to complain, first of all, because Chrome, for some reason, is not working with XSplitter today. So if this is a little wonky, watch this. I can do a window inside of a window inside of a window. (laughs) And that's because for some reason I have to use Internet Explorer. Don't know why that is. It's really frustrating because... Google Docs don't work very good. It does not work, actually. Let's use proper English. Uh, Moving on (laughs) through the show notes here, let's take a look at this first. Uh, This is the CPAN. This is a jib, a slash slider, slash all-in-one device. Devin, you put this in the show notes. This thing looks Mm -hmm. a little weird. It's a little strange. It's got uh, some randomness to it with some weights and whatnot. Tell me more about this thing. Well, it's fascinating because uh, in the way that it works, it's not... I, I I hesitate to call it a jib because while it can move vertically, it can't move in every direction like a jib would where you pan left to right while you're also going vertical. It, it just does either a vertical motion, either a, a horizontal or a diagonal, but it only moves in one direction. But what I really thought was fascinating is not only do you get both uh, the ability to jib up and down, the ability to slide left and right. For one thing, it's got those counterweights on there, which as you've mentioned before, Uh, you won't touch a slider if it doesn't have some kind of counterweight system to help smooth it out. And that's what this has baked in for both the vertical movement as well as using as a slider. But as well, there's adjustments you can make to the camera so that it'll actually also pan or tilt the camera during that motion. And that's that's an adjustable amount. It's not like uh, the Red Rock, uh, like one man slider where it just has this built in curve and you're kind of stuck with the angle it's going to give you and the distance of the object to the camera. This is actually completely adjustable so that uh, you can not only have it like do a very shallow kind of a pan around an object or have it do it very tight because the object's close to it. You can even have it swing out. So while you're sliding left to right, the camera can actually kind of pan right to left so that it has a big switch. It's, it's really hard to describe. It's one of those you should check out the video on. 
but it just seems super versatile. And so, so that's why I was really interested in it. If I understand this thing correctly, basically it has pivot points that are linked to these two arms right here and then the weighting system. And as you move it either left or right or up or down, the position of those arms on the little measuring device right there determines mm -hmm. whether you're sliding the camera left to right as a sort of slider motion or up and down. Is that Does that sound like an adequate description of yeah, the motion I here? Mean yeah, for the most part, it's it, because it, you kind of flip it on its side and it, it holds a fair amount of weight. I want to say that it was something like 13 or 14 pounds as a slider and then it did like nine or 10 pounds as a, a vertical kind of jib thing. Uh, but those arms, the length of those arms are adjustable. And so that's where you get the uh, the ability to have the camera pan as well as slide simultaneously in one motion. And I like that it's adjustable because so many of those systems where you add an arm to a slider in order to allow it to pan, uh, a lot of those don't allow you to kind of change how much it pans during the slide. So the your subject distance, your camera and everything else kind of becomes set and you, you don't get to play around with it too much. As opposed with this camera system, you can have it slide around a car, so it, it does a very gradual pan, or you can do macro photography and have something you know a few inches away and have it do a very harsh pan uh, to stay close and locked on that subject. So it just it seems like a very interesting system. It doesn't come with a tripod or anything like that, um, and I'm not sure if it comes with a counterweight system yet. I didn't hear any word on that, uh, but it's one of those that I'm like, this really seems like a very innovative, compact tool allows you to get those sliding shots when you want them and the fact that it's got the counterweight and the ability to pan at the same time i think it kind of justifies the two thousand dollar price tag two thousand dollars okay first of all this looks like um uh elder cron style a bunch of random bits and pieces <laughs> like all cobbled together and mm -hmm. i love elder cron they make some really good stuff but they also do this thing where everything looks really awesome on paper but then when you get it, there's all these caveats to their design because there's so many things going on that maybe one thing doesn't work as good as the other thing. Or maybe because there's multiple linkages going on, there's like a little bit of shift or maybe the friction doesn't hold quite right. This thing looks like it's it's got enough points of motion and different connectors and so on that there's a lot that could go wrong for a $2,000 slider slash crane. I mean, look at all the pieces on this guy. This, is, this thing has what? Probably... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven joints total. What a weird, crazy combination. I mean, I don't even know what's going on with that. I get what you're saying, and it could be a little too convoluted uh, to be reliable in the field, and that's something that only time will tell. I mean, it's not even available yet. They say available in June. Uh, but it's one of those that it, it seems like a lot of features and you're right, like a lot of the Elder Cron stuff, we've seen them push in a lot of products and then very quickly take them out because, uh, you know, the performance reliability is not there that people are looking for and they tend to drop products uh, here or there. So you're right about that. It does fall in line with that. I'm just hoping that it's going to be better than that because even I could consider buying a system like this for uh, smaller cameras. Now, talking about things you could consider buying, I want to talk about the new possible autofocus lenses from Samyung. We all know Samyung as a company makes some pretty decent range uh, manual focus lenses for almost any camera you can think of. And they've come up with cinema lines with gears and so on and, and declicked apertures. Now they are moving in 
to the AF lens market. And they're going to start out with some FE Sony mount lenses that will give you a 50 millimeter and a 14 millimeter. The 50 will be an F1.4 and the 14 millimeter would be an F2.8. Both of these promise in body AF with the lens itself and their pricing is expected to be in the $600 range. Now I would show you pictures, but for some reason my show notes are now showing up completely blank and XSplitter is just having a heart attack for me. So thanks for that guys. Uh, what's interesting about this though, Devin, is that the 50 millimeter F1.4 is going to be priced at about $200 to $300 less than the 55 millimeter F1.8 from Sony. Do you think this is going to outsell some of a Sony's native glass? And do you think Samyung will continue to move into the Sony FE market? Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, while we haven't seen images from these lenses, we don't know what their performance is. We are very familiar with the brand and it's very possible that, you know, the brand will keep delivering great performance for that price. And in this situation, uh, I think for 600 bucks for a native Sony lens, you know, uh, that's going to work with the image stabilization system and the native mount and the autofocus and everything else. I think that's a killer deal. I think that uh, just about everybody who's using an A7S uh, is going to want to get it for video purposes and things like that. Um, I don't know. I think this they're knocking it out of the park with this one. As long as there isn't some kind of crazy problem with it down the line or it doesn't look like total garbage, I think $600 is crazy compared to what Sony has been charging people for all of their lenses. Have you watched the pricing for Sony lenses? I mean, the FE series lenses, especially the new G Master, they're double or triple the price of their Canon and Nikon counterparts. And then on top of that, you have the the lackluster 24 to 70 F4, which is nowhere near the ballpark of the 24 to 105 from Canon. And they're charging, you know, 800 to $1,000, depending on where you buy it. It's it's ridiculous. And, and, and it's, it's such a, at this time, I'd say it's a narrow use case, because at least with Canon, there you is can freaking adapt. Better. Yeah, well, you, you can adapt to most things with Canon. Uh, you know, you got C300s, even Red Epics and things like that will take a Canon mount natively. Like there's a lot of camera systems around the uh, Canon mount and Sony only has Sony cameras. And that's the only people interested in that Sony mount. And so besides things like the F5, F55, FS7, FS5, um, in terms of video production, there isn't really a lot of calls for these lenses. I mean, most people who are running around with an FS7 or alike are using Canon lenses. So it, it just really seems ridiculous pricing. Not that the performance isn't there. It's not like the lenses are bad, uh, but you're right. It's when, when you're starting to charge more money than Canon, it's like, what are you doing? Well, and the other thing is these lenses from Sony are all fly by wire. So the mm -hmm. AF system and Devin, you used one, you used one of mine at NAB. What did you think of the fly by wire system on Sony lenses? Uh, Disappointing. It, yeah. I mean, like it, it, we eventually got focus. It just, it became <laughs> difficult to work with. Uh, and it was it was a bit of a bear, but that's every fly-by-wire system. It, it, that's not specific to Sony. That's just kind of uh, it's video production with fly-by-wire lenses. What are you going to do? You know. Well, even though Canon lenses 
aren't really perfect for obtaining focus uh, consistently at the same spot every single time. At least it's tied physically, on, in most cases, minus the 85-1-2 to the lens itself. So you can sort of get to where you need to get to, mm-hmm. and it moves at whatever speed your hand moves at. We were running into issues with the Sony mount glass where Devin would move too fast and the focus would change at that speed all the way across, or he would move a little bit slow and then it would just go really laggy on us and not move hardly at all. And it, it was really kind of weird at first getting used to. Repeatable focus is just about near impossible. Yeah. If you're trying to do a focus pull, every time you do it at a slightly different speed, you're going to hit a slightly different focus mark. So uh, in terms of how they use their fly-by-wire system, it really is hopeless. If you're trying to do repeatable focus or a rack focus or something like that, you're always going to end up missing it. Now, if you follow the links through the show notes, guys, you can see that Samyong 50mm F1.4 in action. Uh, they did have it at the uh, demonstration booth at some event, and a person was able to get his hands on it and at least test the autofocus. Uh, their claims are that it's better than a Canon lens with an adapter, but a little bit slower than uh, Sony native glass as far as autofocus is concerned. And the lens is not fly-by-wire. It is a bit bigger than uh, Sony's glass. So those are a few things to keep in mind. And the performance is said to be pretty similar to the rest of their 51.4 offerings. So a little bit soft in the corner, sharp in the center. Uh, still for 600 bucks, definitely something I'll be looking deal. at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I have the 55 millimeter F1.8 and it, I kicked myself even though I, I bought it. Uh, it's, it's like, I, I got, I got a really, I got lucky on it. I think I paid 500 bucks for it, something like that. It was lower than uh, normal, but, uh, it's still, man, that much money for an F one eight. You just kind of, you shrug, uh, speaking of F one eight, and this is kind of a side note, the Sony, uh, full frame 50 millimeter F one eight nifty 50, uh, hit the market, uh, this last week. And the price on that is two forty nine. Uh, the Nifty Fifties in both Nikon and Canon mounts are a hundred bucks, and this yeah. guy is two hundred and forty nine dollars. Uh, people haven't been extremely impressed with it, but they say it does keep up with its competitors at roughly double the price. I mean, that's man, Sony, what are you doing? What are well, you just, doing? And, and just imagine, like, I would, I would question how much value my lens is going to maintain like this is kind of a recent uh you know recent when you compare it to the nikon mount or the canon ef mount um in terms of popularity and lenses and everything else it's like is this going to be something where sony like in a couple of years slashes the price in half on all their lenses and a lot of your investment goes away with that uh you know that's just one of those that's it's it's hard it's for me that would be hard i couldn't buy something like that not knowing where the market's going to be with it one of the price that i've been getting in the used market for my sony glasses any uh indication of where this is going the fall off on <laughs> lenses seems to be pretty spectacular the price drop on craigslist here in portland uh, lenses are going for between three and four hundred dollars less than their retail price uh, depending on the lens you're looking for so that part has been nice for me and has uh, allowed me to afford a few native Sony mount lenses. Now, that's enough complaining about Sony because we all know these problems. Let's talk about something good, Devin. How about the world's tiniest remote flash controller? 
Uh, you mentioned this guy to me, I think a couple weeks ago, and I kind of forgot about it. And then I was looking at the show notes. I decided to throw it in there. This is the Flash Q. Uh, $39, this is an Indiegogo campaign. And actually, there's already people out reviewing it. So it's, it's not vaporware. It's already pretty much ready to roll. This little tiny guy, here's an envelope battery, one that uh, I, I use myself. Devin also uses these. And you can see these compared to that battery. They're really, They're tiny. really tiny. They have adapters to go along with pretty much anything you can think of. The devices themselves have little button batteries that you see in watches and so on. And they're good for about 20 or 30 feet. Uh, $39 will get you a single unit and a receiver. And for $55, you can get two receivers and a transmitter for your camera. That gives you the option to run uh, multiple flashes if you're trying to set up something else. You can also get a few other flavors. Look at how tiny this is on a Lumix GF1. Uh, these guys are adorable, they're cute, and mm -hmm. they're really affordable. Devin, what do you think about these? Is just something, even if you don't do much flash photography, to have in your kit? Oh, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer considering the price and the size. It's yeah, I, I think that's really where it works best is like say you with your LX100 or something like that, uh, being able to grab an old Nikon flash or something like that and go around and play around and do a little bit of flash photography. Um, I think it's perfect for that, and I think there's no reason not to have this in your kit if you do photography. And you've always like been like, oh, like I want to get a speed gun, but you know maybe uh, your camera, you know, brand doesn't come with a good wireless one, or maybe like you have a flash gun, but it only works with a different brand, and it doesn't work with, or your camera doesn't have the built-in wireless too. Like the cheaper Nikon's don't have built-in wireless. I say Nikon because I have a Nikon. Uh, flash gun but and so this allows you you don't have to worry about any of that you know you, you plug it in and you go uh and i think that's it just makes sense compatibility price and size and so far i haven't heard any complaints in terms of the wireless range or reliability the only thing has been kind of what you'd expect which no you can't sit here and flash like 15 a second like you, you can't flash that fast with this system it's not built for that well it takes uh, time for your flash to recycle anyway if, especially if you're using some of the cheap flashes, flashes they're demonstrating here yeah. you know? but uh, some people uh said yeah it's not a, a super speedy flash and i guess you can't do a lot in sequence whether or not the flash can take it uh but for me i go that's not a concern people using this kind of flash systems are hobbyists or they're just doing it for fun or to experiment uh they aren't you know serious speed demons so i think it's perfect i think it's a no-brainer now for me i own um uh, several uh, canon uh, 560s and 600 series uh, ex2 and ex1 flashes and uh, this does not support ttl so if you're looking mm -hmm. for group control in a, a ttl manner where you want to have local dimming or you want to set your your camera or your flashes into groups or do some other interesting things with it uh, you're going to be out of luck there uh, but you know, running your flash in manual, especially if you're just using a single flash, uh, there are USB uh, speed light cables that go with this. So you plug into the USB port, plug into the side of your uh, flash. And I think there's a demonstration picture right here. You can see they've got this plugged in uh, to the port on the side of the flash to uh, operate it. Kind of an interesting combination. The price, man, $39. Uh, I was hovering over this. I almost bought one earlier today. <laughs> I don't really need one. Um, actually, if you want to spend a little bit more money and you do have some dedicated flash, uh, Canon flashes to go with your Canon camera, Yongio makes some really good 
uh, Speedlight controllers that are full TTL. Uh, they're wireless and they're good for 40 to 60 feet. And they have group settings that allow you to uh, designate different flashes to work with different groups and do a lot of other really interesting things. So if you want to start at the uh, bottom of the barrel and just do some really basic flash stuff, this flash cue looks really good. And then for about I think 60 bucks for a set or 80 bucks for a set. The Yongyos are definitely an upgrade if you have dedicated flash heads that work with your camera brand. Uh, I don't know, Devin, are you going to do you do any flash photography? Uh, you know, I, I used to uh, do it quite a bit back. Uh, I mean, I still have it, but my D90 and I have a Nikon flash that works with the D90 wirelessly. Uh, and I love that camera for doing photography work. It's been a while since I've gone out and kind of uh, played around with uh, photography because I've been busy with a lot of video stuff. But uh, yeah, I actually do. I only have one flash gun and I, I haven't gotten crazy. I've been like, I need five of them and all this kind of crazy stuff and local <laughs> dimming. But it is something that I'm interested in as somebody who just enjoys going out and doing photography, having just a flash that you can kind of put in interesting places and make interesting shadows or just use it as a utility to fill uh, when you're taking pictures in certain you know lighting environments. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. So something like this that allows me to take some of my gear and mash it together uh, for this price is a no-brainer. I have some kind of uh, canned projects where I, I basically I'm just taking headshots after I've done some video work. And uh, for that, I have a set of uh, four flash heads and then the wireless system. And I went all out. I have, you know, the good <laughs> stuff. But uh, yeah, that, that's pretty spendy. Those uh, I think the 580s were somewhere in the range of three or four hundred dollars a pop. And then the yeah. one six hundred I have. I bought it thinking I was going to go Canon wireless controller with the, you know, cause that has the internal uh, wireless system for the 600 series. And I don't know, it, it didn't impress me that much. I've been using mostly my five eighties. I think, I don't know if I have the 600 anymore. I might've sold it. Uh, also the same company, Yongyo makes some really good uh, Canon clones that if you're just doing flash photography, occasionally they're way, way, way more affordable than a 480 oh, yes. or a 580. And, uh, they do and they a pretty good, good job. Reviews. Oh yeah. yeah. They get good reviews. I've only burned up one of them. So, you know, <laughs> not too bad. All right. Moving on down the line. Let's talk about burning stuff up. Uh, Devin put this in the show notes and I was kind of giving him a hard time about it. Cause I was like, well, you know, people should check their gear. Uh, but this is a DTAP protector. Basically it will keep you from frying equipment by accidentally wrongly polarizing your equipment in a DTAP setting. Uh, that's got a light to tell you're good to go. It uh, looks like, and Devin can explain this better than I can. You wire this in to all of your DTAPs and it prevents you from burning stuff up. Uh, I don't use a ton of uh, DTAP equipment and it's not really something I'm super excited about, but Devin, you <laughs> are. Tell me more, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, not that I've had an incident where it's happened. I've always been the per, uh, precautious type, uh, but DTAP, that kind of connector uh, is is like a USB connector, but worse because you can actually plug it in backwards. And a lot of uh, DTAP accessories, uh, depending on how much you spend and everything else, they don't necessarily have protection circuits on them. So if you wire them in reverse or plug it in the wrong way, uh, you end up frying whatever it is you've you've plugged in there. So and that could be, you know, uh, a monitor, you know, that you've spent 700 bucks on. It could be an EVF. Like, I don't know if the Zacuto gear has any kind of protection on their lines. I imagine they do because they charge like they do. But uh, in this case, uh, you, instead of a you know, $20 DTAP adapter that you buy and you solder together onto the ends of your equipment, you spend $80 on this one. And what it does when you 
accidentally mash it the wrong way or if you're a rental house or if your camera assistant or whoever else doesn't know what they're doing and they plug it in the wrong way it stops the circuit it turns red and tells you you've plugged me in the wrong way preventing any kind of damages you just pull it out put it in the right way it turns green and you have power so it's a way of um for devices that don't have that kind of protection, it's a way of adding that protection to them so that they don't get screwed up. Because unfortunately, like the D slash P taps, you can just tell by looking at them, it wouldn't be that hard if you're rushing and you're in the dark and you're not familiar with the equipment to plug things in the wrong way. So I see this being totally uh, a killer for rental houses and things like that, where I'm sure they burn out a lot of equipment because people are stupid. Uh, but I could see this for, since I only have a few pieces of gear, it's kind of like, why not? It's a little bit of extra insurance. Uh, there's a few other parts of that protection circuit. It prevents from overvolt and a few other things too. So you can kind of think of it as like a power strip, uh, something to just add a little bit more insurance to your gear. Now, one thing to think about, if you ever end up burning something up with the, the DTAP is most, uh, camera products are built with what they call a diesel diode or a protection diode with a resistor. And what happens is they set that up for reverse polarity. The diode conducts fully and causes current to flow through a single resistor that burns out the input trace to the device. So if you ever think you fried something completely, crack it open and look at the first very very first section stage of the electrical input. And if you see a diode that's burnt and fried and you see a resistor that's fried, uh, that is probably a protection device installed by the manufacturer to keep your equipment safe for that one time when you reverse the power. Uh, this is the reason they call it a diesel diode is because it was originally pioneered in early radios for cars. And the joke was that a diesel mechanic would accidentally hook up your electrical backwards on your radio and fry your radio. Now, that's really not fair because diesel mechanics are very smart people and there are a lot of smart mechanics out there. But uh, that was the joke. And they do that in a lot of electronics these days, especially more expensive monitors, camera gear, and so on. So if you do think you fried your gear... That is probably the first thing to check, and it's really easy to fix. Uh, there's usually polarity indicators for the diode that you need to reinstall for that same protection and a resistor value uh, fairly low, usually rated in the uh, one or two amps so that uh, it burns out right away. But uh, definitely something to check on if you ever fry your gear. And this, $80 a pop, is that just for one, Devin, or is that for... Yeah, that's just for one. Dang. That's $80 for just one connector. Yep. Man. I don't know. The few times I've had it's to use small. stuff with the DTAP, I, I mean, I check it before I go, and, and then mm-hmm. no one does any real rewiring for me of any kind. So I've never. No, it's like like they've they've mentioned. It's mostly for people who might plug it in try the to wrong jam way. it in the wrong way. Yeah, because it it is kind of easy to do that if you have one that's worn or it's not made to the same spec. There's not exactly good space tolerance, depending on where you get your gear from. Like the the DTAP is not like an established standard like uh, an American outlet or something like that, where there's a certain shape and size and it has to fit this to spec. DTAP is just kind of like, oh, there's two prongs and like some plastic around it. We'll make it work. Speaking of burning things up, have you seen the all the news on people buying those USB 3.0 cables on Amazon and oh, they're yeah. not set up to spec? And so they can't handle like the current limiting capabilities needed to protect your vice and they're burning up yeah. like whole uh, uh, Microsoft uh, Surface Pro 4s and so on. 
Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I believe there's a, a man. I can't think of his name from Google who has like gone through on a mission to notify people of these problems. And I think somewhere you can find a list uh, of official cables that he say are a okay because they're built to spec. Uh, but I think that's a classic example of sometimes overseas manufacturers trying to beat everyone to the punch in terms of price and delivery, and they end up making a subpar product. So it's when it comes to your power and stuff like it, it you know, you should you should make sure you get something that's tested, something you know works. <laughs> and it's when it comes to things like I guess for USB cables, everyone would just assume, well, either the cable sucks and it breaks, or it's good. But with all the power going through USB C, I think that threw people for a loop where they thought eh, any usb cable will do and it's like no if you're charging a laptop through a usb cable it's got to be a good one yeah some of those are you know charging a uh google pixel i think is like 90 watts or 80 watts something yeah. crazy like that I and mean, that's a very significant amount of power to, to through, put through and, and tiny through such a small connector with very small pins on it yeah the to wires like the on those barrels. are like 22 gauge or yeah. something like that you know it's it's crazy small Huh. So and, and and you compare that to the barrel plugs and everything else that we have on our laptops. It, it's nuts to think about what they're trying to do in such a small package. But yeah, the, the power uh, brick. Of mindful my, of the power brick of my freaking MSI <laughs> GS60 is huge. It's like the size it's a of my arm. Not yeah. a power brick. It's a small generator. All right. Well, we're talking about weird stuff. Let's talk about this Sennheiser MKE 440 microphone. This is a little bit strange, and I feel like we're sort of starting to jump the shark with uh, these stereo mics. First, we saw stereo mics that were pointing in uh, both directions, and then we saw stereo mics that were pointing back and forwards, and then we saw stereo mics that just kind of had swivel XY patterns that went all over the place. Now we're getting stereo focusing, and if you're familiar with wave dispersion, basically the concept here is that each of these mics is focused out and at an angle, and therefore at some point in the center of those two mics patterns, there's a maximum input value for both of the mics, and those two combined will give you a very strong sound from that access point with incoming stereo sort of off access stuff giving you color to your audio. Now, this guy will set you back 349. It looks rather precarious here, and uh, they've got a little quote just telling you that this will well mix in between ambient sounds and the clear, uh, comprehensible speech and dialogue. And I've got a link to this here. That also, for an extra $100, you can get this with a fluffy that will sort of keep wind off of it. I don't know, Devin, I say this all the time and people kind of disagree with me. Do you think stereo mics are really necessary for on-camera DSLR shooting? Uh, I it, it's, it's more narrow of a use than... When would you I, use it? Can you give me an example? I can give you lots of examples. Uh, when you're rolling B-roll, uh, say the client is like, yeah, I want you to record my... A motorcycle, my custom motorcycle driving down the road. Uh, if you do it with stereo, it adds a little bit of stereo imagery. You don't have to do anything fancy in post. You're done. You hit record and you get kind of the audio you're looking for. Um, anything where you're in recording in an environment, say it's a, a film project and like you go down to the beach. Well, you know, you don't have to do anything too fancy if you already have a stereo, you know, room tone or something like that of the beach and what it sounds like. And the now, way wouldn't you just leave else. your field recorder laying about for a little bit and then use that as your ambient fill? It, in, in cases like, yes, you're completely right when it comes to things like uh, 
uh, room tone or something like that, you can. It's you're right. It, I this literally is very carry narrow. my Zoom H1, which is eighty dollars compared to this three forty nine device. And mm-hmm. I, when I go somewhere, I will set it out for five minutes and capture, you know, people talking in the background or, you know, if I have a little windscreen for it, you can set it out on the beach and you can get, you know, ambient birds flying by and so on. And then you mix and loop, you mix no, and you I, loop. Yeah, I, you, you're, and you're completely right. And they're trying to sell this as the mixing will be done for you, uh, more or less. The only place I really see this being useful is with vloggers. Uh, people who aren't going to do a lot of editing, they aren't going to do any kind of audio mixing. They're going to hit record and they're going to take that video and take it straight to distribution. And in those cases, that's the one place where this microphone would shine because it would give you both the environment you're in as well as strong vocal presence for what's directly in front of the microphone. Uh, and, a, you know, which means to a little bit of rejection on the side. So it's a very narrow use case, but I really think uh, considering the size and they expect you to mount it on top of a DSLR or something like that, that's the market. This is supposed to be the perfect mic for video vloggers and things like that to add on to their cameras. You think that this is crazy. I bet you, you give it like two years, maybe just a year, you're going to start seeing crazy stuff where there's like two shotgun mics back to back and one shotgun mic is used as like a a digital uh, noise cancellation for the one in the front so that it's like even more hyper-focused and things like that. Mm. Like you just wait, they're probably going to make crazy shotgun microphones with all kinds of digital doodads inside of it because they can and people buy them. And I don't understand that. It's getting a little (laughs) weird. Have you ever, in fact, um, I just ordered a new pair of uh, noise canceling headphones, but have you ever worn one of those where they're doing the noise cancellation? Yeah. It feels like you're, I don't know how to describe it. Almost like you're underwater. Especially if you ever try on a pair of the Bose like twenty five or twenty series headphones, mm-hmm. it's like you almost you almost lose audio clarity from all the you know cancellation waveforms that are bouncing around inside your headphones, trying to stop it, that weird. audio from coming in. Uh, with disconcerting ears like yours are going to still feel that acoustic pressure where some people like the majority of the people who are interested in noise canceling headphones, uh, you know, business people, stuff like that to do a lot of travel. Uh, they usually can't pick up on that because they aren't, you know, disconcerting. They don't work in audio and everything else. So I have used that before. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, it does kind of feel funny and feel weird in that it is canceling the noise, but then you have this funny feeling with it too. And it's not great or perfect. I, I much prefer like, uh, earbuds that have, uh, you know, the squishy material and kind of act as a really good sound blocker to each their own. Uh, but I, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing mics with active noise cancellation built into their circuitry, uh, the same way that there is with headphones, Because, I mean, cell phones already do it, right? And it's worked so well for them. So I could just see that evolving into, like, quote-unquote professional audio to have noise-canceling mics that are active. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's getting a little ridiculous. And then on top of that, the processing time that has to happen for that to cancel stuff out. Uh, This is an interesting idea, and I do like the concept and theory. I wonder how far your subject has to be away from the microphone to really uh, benefit from that. has got to be, like, an ideal range, I imagine. Well, it's an XY pattern. So at whatever the calculation is for that XY to come back to itself Mm -hmm. and the standing wave reflective time for that audio to bounce back to both mics will determine 
determine, you know, the sweet spot, the strongest spot. And I suppose in testing, you could just simply walk up to and walk away from and find about how many feet out uh, you need to be from there. I'm not seeing, I know I was trying to find it in the notes for the uh, specs list on this guy, and I don't see any specific distance. Uh, there's noise reduction, there's some filtration, so you can lo- roll off the low and uh, so on, but uh, nothing specific on the distance. So that's unfortunate, really weird. I don't know. I guess if you need a stereo mic, 349, there you go, <laughs> Sennheiser. Good job <laughs> making the double finger, whatever. Yep. Uh, next thing on the list here is actually this little tiny light and you guys probably remember a couple episodes ago i was really excited about those little tiny square uh, led lights that were high power and small price um i've pulled the trigger on several actually <laughs> uh, this is just one of them i'm going to be testing a few of them back and forth uh this is the ican uh i led and i hate when companies do this just so you know if you decide to use the i branding for your stuff and yes i know it's i can so maybe that's okay it's acceptable for them but it's still frustrating just just call it something else don't don't use the i moniker uh in your naming call it the led ma or something like that anyway i've got a couple of these and i'm actually right now i'm using these to light myself as we do the show and here's the external cam so you can see i've got a little one right here with a battery strapped to it uh you can see the little battery right here these are self-powered they'll last about an hour but if you want them to go a little bit longer you just plug them in via usb uh they can be mounted vertically or horizontally and the crazy thing about these is actually that they're only about uh 40 so one of the cheapest on the small LED list, uh, they are fairly bright. And if you watch right here, for those of you watching, you can see how much light I can throw with this. I'm, I'm getting fairly bright here. I've got this turned back down to uh, probably about half or a quarter of the full brightness. And the reason I picked these up is uh, Devin and I were looking at the Aladdin lights, and they're $120 or so. And they're when spendy. I- when I was looking at the LEDs used in those, uh, they're fairly similar to the LEDs used in the ICANN lights, and the ICANN lights are, are roughly half the price. So I thought I would throw these into the mix, give them a try. I also want to try out the Manfrotto, uh, I think it's called the Aluma Muse 8. I think that's and right, yeah. I, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And, uh, I've, of course, I've got the Aladdin coming, and then I've got that little square light. That's The name has already escaped me. I, I think it was called, like, the Cube uh, cube luma cube or something like that uh, but uh, i'll be testing those out over the next couple of weeks and kind of comparing them uh, so expect some random review videos or some comparison videos of these tiny lights it's kind of cool that all of these have their own uh, internal battery and that's actually what i like about it because a lot of times i just need to show up and you know devin was with me at, uh, at nab I, I wanted a little light here and I, you know, we had to get a battery out and we had to get out a big led light and we had to hook it up, hang it off of something with these tiny lights. I mean, you can literally use a tiny gorilla pod, even one of the generic $15 ones to hold it up or any kind of clip that you can think of to, to get it airborne and place it somewhere. And you don't have to strap a battery to it and you get a, you know, an hour or so worth of light out of it. That's plenty of time to get a quick interview or to do something simple. Obviously these aren't going to replace full-fledged lighting kits, but for convenient little things that you can throw in your bag, having all of these, you know, I believe the ICANs are, are 5,500K. So, you know, roughly in the range of 5,200, uh, most of the other lights that you can get, you can get in 5,600K or so. So they, they blend in pretty well. And it, 
they're cheap. They're really, really I, freaking cheap. And I think you're absolutely right about that. This isn't necessarily a light you buy because you have a specific purpose in mind of how you're going to use this light like you would with a larger fixture. This is one of those small ones that you have in your bag, and it's just always at the ready. Because I could imagine, too, you're shooting, say, uh, a scene inside of a car. It's like this will easily fit into you know the uh, the dash and can add a little bit of fill, a little bit of splash of light on their face so you can expose it a bit better. Uh, just being so small, so light, makes it easy to mount anywhere, and an hour or so of battery life gets you just enough to get through whatever situation you're in that this little utility knife uh, can kind of get you out of. So uh, like he was saying, on the show floor, there would have been a few times where it's like, hey, if it only took two seconds to clip to something and turn it on, we would have used this all over the place just to add in a little bit of fill or, you know, maybe spotlight something, draw attention to something we wanted. So uh, it, it's one of those where the ICANN comes at a price that makes me very interested. $40. In it. It's so cheap. I, it, it, and and really, like, to me, that seems pretty appropriate. Um, of course, you know, you'll you'll post a review or at least your thoughts on the Manfrotto and uh, the Lumi Cubes as well. Uh, but still, very like that. I, I'm kind of interested in these small LEDs too. Most of my kit's pretty big. I just bought some big, like two by one panels and stuff like that. Uh, but at the same time, seeing DJ have so much fun with these little lights make me think, oh, that would be really, you know, it, it could be really handy. It could it, it could really save your butt uh, on a shoot when something goes wrong or something's too small or too tight. So, all right, Devin, we're gonna do something we haven't done in a long time. You want to answer a question really quick? absolutely bring right. it on the question comes from pixel relief and he wants to know if there's any good sources for free music for uh, corporate production Ooh, corporate production um there is uh what is the website that you always mentioned to me i've got a few after that but there uh, is that one website the in computech that everyone uses dot the com yeah that's right in computech.com it's a fair use so accredit the artist accordingly uh, if you want the high-res tracks you pay a fixed dollar amount if you want an mp3 version of the track it's simply accreditation only and you're good to go the high-res versions of the tracks you know honestly for most applications no one's going to notice the difference and you pay maybe seven or ten dollars for the rights if you want to do it that way or you just put their name in the credits for the free version of it and it's use and use or share and share alike so really easy to usually find the mood you're looking for especially in corporate videos i mean what do you need you mm -hmm. need something soft you need something <laughs> upbeat you need something that's like oh no these poor kids and then here's how we're gonna do you know do something uh, happy to save it a great a great resource that i've been collecting for a while there's a website called music for makers uh, they have paid for, I believe, licensed content or some kind of membership or something like that. But every week they email you a free song to use. And so if you get on that list and every week you keep collecting it, I've got a small collection of like 30 or 35 songs that are all completely free to use in any way that I see fit. Um, most of the time, though, for me personally, I'm not looking for um, uh, I'm not looking for free uh, it, it depends. Like if I'm able to find it here or there, there is a, if you're going to YouTube, there are a few YouTube, uh, I guess you call them communities or organizations that actually have a lot of great music. There's dubstep. There's a lot of crazy stuff. I think, uh, NCS is one of them that comes to mind right now, uh, which I don't know what that stands for. No copyright sounds. So that's, that's a YouTube channel that has a bunch of, a lot of techno dance kind of music, but completely free to use if it's on YouTube. And if you link back to the original video 
for the most time, that's not going to work with certain clients, but it could work for a couple of clients. Me, I'm a big fan of Audio Jungle. It's very easy for me to find the mood and the kind of music I want. But yes, each song costs 15 or 20 bucks. It depends on how much you're getting paid for the gig. Uh, you say you're looking for free stuff. For me, I'm willing to take 15 or 20 bucks out of the budget to get a really great song that people haven't heard before, that hasn't been on YouTube and corporate videos and Kickstarter videos for the past five years. So it, it's a give and take. Uh, but yeah, for you can me, spot that's, the uh, Incomputech music can. pretty easily. You can, because that library has... Uh, has been used quite extensively over the I years. I think You'll the guy that runs in Computech has the world record for the number of IMDb credits accredited uh, to, to one person because his music has been so uh, so well used across the industry. It's it's nuts. You go to his IMDb page and it's like forty or fifty pages deep worth of credits yeah. for music <laughs> use. It, it, it's it's out of control. Uh, the other thing I do, and you know, this may not be for everybody, but uh, I like to write my own music. Um, I, I have a couple of sequencers and uh, some samplers and so on. And it's pretty easy to just, you know, while you're flying to an event or flying to somewhere else or you're, you're traveling or you're between gigs, you just write a couple of songs here and there and you tuck them away with a label like happy or sad or, you know, upbeat or, you know, dance house or something like that. And that way you have a completely original feel uh, to whatever you're working on. And people can tell you like, hey, I would like this to be a little bit more like this. And it's really easy to go to your own music and write that. Now, I, I realize it's not for everybody, uh, but if you check out stuff like uh, Reason, which is a, a good audio application, a lot of those have pre-built sort of easy to compose riffs and rhythms and samples that you can combine and create and mix to, to generate your own music without having to have a ton of musical skills. And Devin was actually laughing at me because I'm like, okay, I'll get the music done in just a second for some of the stuff him and I were working on together. And I just grabbed a machine out of my backpack and uh, played a few beats really quick. I'm like, all right, here it is, you know, go for it, man. And he was looking at me like, what are you, are you crazy? <laughs> well because you know and uh the, the more you do it the better you get at it if that's something that you kind of like if that's one of your interests uh then by all means it's an excellent opportunity to make use of that interest and kind of turn it into something that helps your business uh if you like music creation and things like that there's no reason not to keep keep investing yourself in those interests because it can come in handy for uh clients and projects now let's talk about one last thing before we get out of here and that is these crazy lights that are supposed to crazy. be the end all led solution uh these are soft panels led lights uh this is a kickstarter campaign i believe uh, lots of backers uh, everybody was really excited about it the campaign itself had three different flavors of lights the prices are are rather expensive looking at about a thousand dollars a pop for these lights but they boast auto color uh, coloration they have a bunch of really interesting functions and uh, you know people are really excited about these lights Devin, they seem pretty spendy. And while I was watching the video, you know, they mentioned the the skin tone uh, portion of it, but I didn't really see them, you know, compare it, you know, do a side by side with something else to say, like, this is what failed. And here's why this one's good. It was just like, this is really good. Push this auto button and it works. Uh, you probably looked into these way more than I have. What do you think about these lights? Uh, I, I think that it's one of those where uh, I wouldn't invest this kind of money without using it firsthand and really experimenting with it. Because now, we're it is, isn't it a guy that's well known in the LED 
Absolutely. Light yeah. market. I can't think of his name right now, but it's not like this is the first LED panel they've made. Uh, but part of it for me is that I'd really like to, because what they don't seem to show necessarily is a spectrometer and how this is exactly matching the light. Because if this is a system where it's just kind of setting the white balance, which they claim it's not, they're, they're, they're claiming it's actually taking measurements of color casting and correcting for that. Um, but if, if this is just kind of like, oh, we've got warm and we have blue you know, LEDs and we kind of mix between the two, uh, then I'm like, well, that's not very much. That, that's kind of nice that you have an auto knob for my white balance, but that's not what I'm looking for. What they claim here is that this guy will be able to match anything. So if you have really crappy lights uh, that are really spiked in weird ways because you're doing cheap fluorescence in an office or something like that, this will match it. And then you set your camera to white balance off of that, and all of a sudden the lighting environment you're in, these panels match it. And so therefore you have control of the lighting, you can use ambient lighting, where in a lot of cases, as I'm sure DJ knows, when you go to like offices and there's crappy fluorescent lights or something else like that, you tend to turn off those lights and use your own because you're like, they look crappy and my lights aren't going to match it and I'm not going to have control over them. Um, so the it's kind of is the flicker, man. If you're, you know, you run into the flicker and <laughs> yes. you're just like, what is, what is going on here? And, and you can't figure it out. And then the room also has yeah. this strange, like, no, 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 no. And you, yeah, you know, it's, it's got it's the like, hum in it too. It's, oh. it's, it's a mess. So, I mean, there, there's more than one reason to turn off, uh, the fluorescent lights sometimes. Uh, but in any case, uh, I, I see this for like on the run where you got to set up quick and tear down quick. Having an auto setting could be absolutely killer and it could be really useful for those people who are moving quickly. I don't see this being useful for people shooting short films. I don't see it being useful uh, for people who are doing their own independent projects or working on features or anything like that. Uh, But those people who are working corporate, who are working client, who are like, you know, I've got uh, one hour to get 45 minutes of an interview done. Uh, This saves you running back and forth, trying to get lights to match and everything else. So it, it is super spendy. I mean, a one by two is a thousand. Imagine if you got like a two by two or something. So it's, uh, yeah, but it's I guess if of, you compare that to like an airy, uh, what's the one, the, the sky panel or the headlamp or whatever the, the, uh, top mounted, you know, bar. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I know. I know what you're talking that about. That one's like it, five grand or six grand. So if this is even, well, cause it has that name. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> true. It has the name. Okay. You got me, you got me there. All right. But, uh, I'm not saying these aren't worth the price if they work as well as they've been uh, claiming they do in the video. Uh, but it is still a Kickstarter. It's, you know, which, uh, that always, you know, makes me question it. That always makes me very critical of what it is because there's so much garbage and there's so much scamming that goes on with a lot of Kickstarter stuff. Uh, while this is established, and I, I, I have no doubts that they will ship a product, uh, the question is how good their product will work. I think if it still has super high CRI and everything else, it could be worth that $1,000 to a lot of people. Uh, but for me, it's all about that auto balance feature and how well that works. And I'd really like to see that in person and see how well it reacts to the situation around it. I don't know. The design of this also looks pretty sleek. I mean, all metal housing, they're mm-hmm. using the sort of outside cooling system. You've got uh, DNX control or DMX controls as well as multiple mm-hmm. power sources. Uh, they look really, really well put together. And the nice thing about this compared to some Kickstarters that I normally would complain about is that you actually have the product on demo. They've basically oh, yeah. done all of the research and now they're sort of just using this as a pre-sell uh, to ramp mm-hmm. up production on these. Uh, I am seeing a lot of, here's my cell phone. Is there any kind of wireless controller in this guy as well? 
Uh, not that I saw. Uh, you said cell phones. Um, are you talking about the spectrometers or? No, at the very end here, and I mean, I didn't read all of this, guys. I'm going to confess to that. I was leaving that to Devin. But I keep seeing mm-hmm. pictures of like, oh, here's a cell phone next to my stuff, you know. Uh, and then no. they're like showing it with the the white balance next to the deal. I, everybody's been incorporating, uh, you know, Bluetooth controls in these things lately. I was just wondering if that was an option. No, I, 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 as far as I see, this doesn't have any wireless control system. They imagine if you're going to control, you're going to do it through that uh, DMX or uh, whatever it's called port. Ah, oh, dang it. Uh, D, whatever it is. Yeah, it's DMX. Yeah. DMX is your standard light controlling uh, function. So if you have a, a dimmer uh, panel or something like that that you want to use, DMX is the way you do that, uh, especially if you're doing like DJing. If you ever, yep. you know, setting up the strobes, all that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and the disco balls and the lasers. Yep. I worked with a band one time and I, I needed to do a music video for them. And uh, this is way back when in the old uh, CC, CCD days, um, they wanted to have lights flash whenever the snare drum and the bass drum hit and so we use triggers with a dmx controller to Mm -hmm. to cause lights to flash in each section as they played and then they we ended up working it into a couple different musical cues but uh really awesome effect and at, at the time it was sort of they were sort of innovative for doing that but now you see that almost all the time any any band that has any kind of beat machine or or light mm-hmm. control system does that sort of thing now so it's not as it's not as revolutionary but uh but the lighting is fun lighting a, a live venue a live concert that's always fun oh man <laughs> and uh, you know not to dive too far into bands but one of the best uh live performance lighting setups i've ever seen was uh, uh nine inch nails actually uh they set up a light panel an led panel like one of the ones that you would see today as a full billboard only mm-hmm. they had it on a rotating crane arm mechanism so it started out above them and you didn't even realize it was there because it was just dead black and then they would start playing and then clouds moved in and then lightning <laughs> and you know all these other things and it was just gorgeous and then throughout the show the the panel they were able to move it uh to all four corners of the stage and do all these different effects and you know uh camera effects and uh, i put it behind the band and have shadows of them appear behind them and so on uh, just really interesting i don't even it's so complicated to do something like that that uh, i don't that's beyond my lighting expertise <laughs> but really interesting that you could do some of that stuff and if you ever want to dig deeper into lighting kits in general and if you are working on a, a fixed installation lighting kit you know understanding how the dmx controllers work how the the main hubs and uh, you can even write code uh to work with some of that stuff that does some really interesting things i've seen people diy their own audio uh, interfaces that will trigger events and so on it's there's a lot of really cool stuff you can get into with that but i think that clears up all the show notes devin do you have anything else before Mm -hmm. we get out of here uh no i'm i'm looking forward to your led lights and what you have to say about that (laughs) I'm um, if you guys notice, I'm a little uh, dishuffled today. I flew back in from uh, the Midwest this morning, and uh, I, it was a pretty, pretty tough uh, shoot. We went all night, uh, two nights in a row, so I didn't get nearly as much sleep as I would have liked. And I'm still unboxing things that have showed up for me. So I'll post some more on these ICAN lights when I get around to it, as well as some of the other lights that are showing up. 
kind of interesting those manfrotto lights the uh lumina whatever those number eight versions they're only 80 bucks and they also are supposed to put out double the light of these ican lights so we'll see if all this stuff is legitimate but uh yeah pricing it it is a hundredth episode isn't it oh yeah yeah we talked about that hundredth episode (laughs) and i'm tired and and not up to my full game here so (laughs) and it's also hot uh my house right now it, in Portland, it's it's getting warmer than normal, so it's it's almost like seventy five outside. Not used to these these temperatures, you know. Seventy five <laughs> is just burning me up, man. Okay, yep. let's uh, let's end this dying show. Uh, yep. All right, guys, you can find me on iTunes, SoundCloud, anywhere podcasts are distributed. You can swing over to dslrfilmnoob.com for write ups, reviews, and so on. You can find Devin at Devo Cut on Twitter, and Devin, you have a website. Uh, no, not really. Not yet. I mean, there's devocut.com, but it doesn't have anything on it yet. So don't bother. Nah. <laughs> I'll get around to it after I, uh, I don't know. I, I, after I forget to sleep, I'll, I'll get around to it. Oh, and, uh, I think, uh, today's mother's day too. So today's if you have a mom, day. uh, tell her thanks for birthing you. Cause that, that, that's probably led to a lot of success in your life. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll catch you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR film noob podcast. <laughs>